Welcome back to the Blue Light Show, the one-stop shop for news you've already heard and opinions you don't need. On today's episode, we'll be discussing Avatar The Last Airbender. Uh, my name is Dakota. I'm Brian. And uh, today we have our first ever honored guest, uh, our friend Justin. Say hi, Justin. Hello, how's it going? I'm Justin. What up, you cringy fuck? <laughs> Welcome to our I'm crappy in a podcast, podcast now. <laughs> As soon as you go on your friend's podcast, you're you're cringe. Mom, get the camera. <laughs> oh, baby, a triple. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I guess the, the news today is just that Avatar is on Netflix, and a lot of people are watching it. We don't really do news segments anymore, but we haven't changed the intro yet. So... I haven't That's had Brian rewrite a new one, so uh, we're still yeah. doing the old intro. So, Avatar. The I last like Airbender. Avatar. Yeah. And it's only the last Airbender here. Everywhere else, it's The Legend of Aang. Wait, what? A way worse title. Yeah. But it does fit into the, the naming convention with Legend yeah. of Korra. It does, yeah. Uh, I was going to make a joke, but why, why, would, why would you name your show after your main character? Make that Legend yeah. of Korra joke. Well, they could have named Legend of Korra Avatar the Last Avatar Show, but I guess they didn't want that that branding. Avatar the Last Strong Female Lead. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, I heard she... Never mind. Uh, so... Yeah, we're not there yet. Yeah, we'll, we'll cover Korra at some point, I'm sure. So, um, we all grew up watching this show, right? I know Justin and I both did. Uh, were you watching this as a kid, Dakota? I mean, I'm the same age, so I'd assume, yeah, I saw it, I saw it on, on release. My memory of watching it as a kid was kind of spotty. Like, I know I saw most of it, but for the first couple seasons, I was seeing it all out of order for some reason, and I definitely missed certain episodes. I was gonna say, that's just a, a remnant of, well, what did it play on? Cartoon Network? Nickelodeon. Nickelodeon? Yeah, that's just a remnant of Nickelodeon. Nothing yeah. played in order, and I don't think I actually got the, like, full story, like, years later. Well, I always got the sense that Nickelodeon didn't take the show very seriously at first. It wasn't until, like, maybe season three where they were like, oh, people really like this show. But, like, up until then, I always felt like they had it on at weird times, and they didn't really promote it very well. Probably partly because it was just so different from their usual programming. I can see that, yeah. Instead of, instead of being, like, a like, like a fun kid show, it's like, a, it's like an action kid show that made you think sometimes. Mm-hmm. Well, it's also a Western cartoon that's, like, built on Eastern influences, which simultaneously made it very weird and very interesting for me as a kid. Just like Kappa Mikey. No. <laughs> I, I remember not liking Kappa Mikey, man. It's, it's not fucking good. <laughs> How do you guys feel about it uh, entering the mainstream again? Well, Dakota made a joke to me the other day about how it was time to start gatekeeping Avatar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm... I'm, I'm <laughs> This is a pro gatekeeping your your loves podcast. Um, right? Ira would blow out your asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I really like seeing it gain new fans. I've seen some funny stuff come out of it, like uh, 
uh, there was a post on Tumblr like, wait, Sokka's girlfriend actually turns him to the moon? Um, it's funny to me that people thought that that was just, like, bullshit. But no, she turns into the moon, man. Yeah, I mean, I'm okay with it. I'm not super on social media, so if, if people are being annoying about it, I'm not really seeing it. How long do you guys think until we see mainstream uh, shipping of the show? Oh, well, God. I hadn't even thought of that. Is that going to come back? <laughs> I've been waiting it's for the... It's never Z- died. Yeah, I've been waiting for the Zutara debates to, like, flare up again. Oh. Yeah. But that's the wrong pairing! <laughs> this, this is going to be the rest of the episode. It's just us. <laughs> Three guys in their 20s screaming about <laughs> pairing up cartoon characters. One thing that I, I have noticed is at following the ending of Avatar Korra, a lot of fans have been taking like a queer LGBT approach to the original series, which I think is interesting. I don't think that's as inherent in Avatar as it is in the last season or so of Korra. Last episode? Um, yeah. Well, they. this isn't a Korra podcast. We, we, can, we can talk about that later. What Can you actually like... I can't think of anything LGBT in The Last Airbender, except for, like, arguing maybe that Toph was asexual, which is kind of, again, disproven yeah. in the later show. Also because she's, I like, don't, 12 in the original series. Yeah. I don't think there really are any elements of it in the original series. Um, some people have talked about, like, Ty Lee, I've seen. But even then, like, that's just headcanon. I mean, if you want to talk about that stuff, power to you, but um, I don't really think it's a super strong element. I will say, while, while I always liked Aang and Katara better than Katara and Zuko, um, I think even that relationship is, like, a little uncomfortable because he's 12 and she's 14, and I'm like... Hey, man, he's 112. Okay, yeah. Brian. Okay, <laughs> that's, he's 112. And, and in that case, he's the creep. So... <laughs> but, that was always weird to me. Like, the, the age difference between a 12-year-old and a 14-year-old is so small, but it feels, like, massive. Speaking of age gaps, it's gotten really uncomfortable seeing everyone's, like, childhood crushes on that show not evolving with their age kind of yeah. thing. So instead of being like, you know, I used to have a crush on Ty Lee. Not yeah. li- it's just like, God, look at her fucking tits. <laughs> Yeah, I remember as a kid, I had a big crush on guitar, particularly in her season three outfit, the Fire Nation one. And uh, now I look back on that and I'm like, oh, she's 14. Man, she sure is. I'm going to throw the bus here real quick. Brian, I had the same feeling oh, when you watching the series. Yeah, oh, I'm, good. Like, I'm like, damn, guitar looking kind of. Oh, wait, she's 14. <laughs> Well, I will say, never mind, we're not gonna. <laughs> uh, um, <clears throat> so let's uh, let's talk about like some of the stuff that makes the show specifically interesting to us. I think part of it I've already touched on for me, which is that the Eastern influences, not only are they integrated in a really interesting way, but at that age, I had never really seen Western media tackle Eastern culture you know i'd seen a little of it in like anime and stuff but for the most part the stories i was being told over and over and over again were about like aspects of western mythology and western culture and so avatar gripped me because it was so unlike 
everything else I was seeing on TV. There were some small, like, issues there, though, where, like, as a kid, I didn't understand why Aang was bald, and it really bothered me. Because, like, I was not accustomed to, like, the heroes of my TV shows being bald. I was used to them having, like, luscious, beautiful hair. Um, whereas now I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. Like, yeah, yeah. he's a monk. That, that, that's the real representation Avatar gives us. <laughs> it made a, they, they had the power to give a bald person the main character spotlight. <laughs> For a while there, I think, was it one and a half seasons? The uh, main antagonist was practically bald, too. Who are you thinking about? Um, Zuko. Oh, Zuko. Okay, because Long Fang also has that that sick receding hairline. Ah, he sure does. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Beautiful skullet going on there. This show has great bald representation. I can really, <laughs> I can really vibe with that. Um, Combustion man. Yeah, because Justin, um, you're bald. Uh, how, how do you feel about the bald representation in Avatar: The Last Airbender? Uh, they sure do cover, like, the whole bit of it, uh, you know? Yeah. I think the favorite is Sparky Sparky Boom Boom Man. Yeah. Um, oh, of yeah. course. I, I most resonate with him because I think he has more of a shaved head than anything, but... Yeah. Yeah, Aang has a shaved head, but doesn't look shaved. Yeah, he gets real He gets real fine with it. I get a kick out of Combustion Man's because you know if he had hair, it would explode. If he used his powers, like if he had bangs, he he would have to have turf bangs if he was gonna have hair at all <laughs> <laughs> to get around that eye. What? <laughs> because he has the eye on his forehead that shoots explosions out. He has to have turf bangs. If if his bangs went over the eye, he would blow his head up. Oh my god! <laughs> You've got the, um, unfortunately, you have a point there. Uh, I never understood how his, like, metal limbs worked. Did that ever bother you, Justin? I always kind of assumed they were armor, but... Oh, really? I always assumed that he was, like, missing limbs from, like, experimenting with his powers or whatever. Yeah, I, I assumed it was it was kind of a metal-bending thing in, in, that, in, that, in that vein. But he's a firebender, bro. Yeah, but... Get that if you want some... If you want me to formulate some in-depth uh, theory here, yeah, man. If he's if he's able to create explosions, it could be minor like hydraulics in his legs, okay. like an engine, and kind yeah, of just okay. be driving it that way. That'd be interesting. I say like hydraulics and all that already exists, yeah. especially in the Fire Nation. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I guess this is where we should address, by the way, that like. Um, Dakota is a fan of the show and he has seen it before, but it's been a long time for him. Uh, we gave him a handful of episodes to watch for a refresher. Justin and I have seen this series like many, many times. I mean, I think just together you and I have watched it at least two or three times and we've both yeah. watched it separately as well. So, um, I think you are still, uh, head of the table here. Cause I do believe that you read the, the comics too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also, as a kid, at, at the book fairs, the Scholastic book fairs they would have, they would have little, like, Avatar handbooks. But they would have one that was like, this is all about the culture of the Water Nation, or the Water Tribes. And uh, I always snatched that lore. stuff up when I found it. Yeah, man. Give me that, give me that deepest lore, dog. But yeah, I, uh, uh, no. I, I'm, I'm trying my hardest to pretend that I know the storylines here and every, all the stories <laughs> going into the show. 
like I said, like Brian said, it's been a while since I've actually sat yeah. and watched the entire series. I watched as many like important episodes as I could. Like I watched, uh, what was the list we had? I watched Top's episode. I watched uh, Zuko Alone. I watched uh, my favorite episode. Fantastic episode! Holy shit! Um, we'll talk about that one. Yeah. <laughs> watch the, the season finales, the series finales, as much as I could fit in without actually kind of watching the whole show. Because why, why, why would I prepare mm-hmm. for this podcast? Yeah, uh, but yeah. So what are some, what are some other things that make Avatar unique? I, I would say partly it's the fact that they're they're willing to deal with like mature themes and complex characters while also unabashedly being like an all ages cartoon. Yeah, there's a, they, there's a very fine line there, and I think I think it works really well for them. They, the creators really really worked to get like you know the fun kid stuff in there but also like serious almost adult issues in there as well yeah the perfect example of that is the tales of bossing say which is like it's like five or six vignettes about like the characters going about their lives in bossing say and part of it's really kid friendly where it's like Aang freeing animals from the zoo, or Sokka um, discovering like his love for haiku, or Toph and Katara going to a beauty salon, and then the like the last two episodes, one of them are about Iroh's dead veteran son, and it's fucking heartbreaking, and then the other one is about Momo being miserable because Appa has been kidnapped and abused, like. Oh my god, that's right. They 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 kidnap Appa at some point. Appa's Lost Days is, is one of the most depressing things I've ever seen. I'm, I'm glad that wasn't one of the episodes you recommended me to watch in preparation for I this. fucking thought about it. <laughs> you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> Brian just gets a text yeah. at 2 in the morning. Why am I crying over this, <laughs> air, this sky buffalo? Because he's getting abused, man. It's that simple. Justin, what's some stuff that particularly appeals to you about the show? I mean, without going and repeating anything that you guys have mentioned, looking closely at the uh, choreography, I guess, the the, the bending styles are very Mm. reminiscent of some martial arts and are very incredible and very true to their original, I almost want to call them art styles. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they are mo-capped all by one guy at least for most of the series they definitely are in Korra yeah Um, that's that's always like uh, that's the big thing that's always stood out to me about the show is just every fight scene is just fucking brilliant yeah and it's it's another aspect of like how they flesh out the world which is already extremely fleshed out but like I've always loved that Toph has a very distinctly different style of earthbending um, and you don't even have to, like, look at behind-the-scenes stuff to understand that. Like, you can clearly visibly see that she bends differently, and it's it's a product of her blindness um, that does, n- does not hinder her in any way. I, I, um, a lot of characters have little quirks like that that I really like. That's something else cool about the show. The show is very um, inclusive about, like, disability. Just inclusive in general, actually. Yeah, actually, I, I hadn't even thought about that, honestly. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, you have uh, Toph. Um, who's the kid in the air temple who's in the wheelchair? I forget his name. There's a couple episodes about him. I feel like there's somebody in Korra I'm not thinking of, too. I'm, I'm sure there is. 
Oh, there's a lady who has no arms in Korra who can still water. His name is Tio. Okay. That's wheelchair man. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. That's why we brought you um, on this episode. I'm the Google guy. I, I barely <laughs> have any guy. idea what I'm talking about, so you you got you guys got to carry this for me. I was gonna say what other representation representation is there? Now that I, like now that I'm trying to think about it, I feel like I can't. You mean like you mean like outside of like disability? You mean like what other kinds of representation? Well, I mean even other disabilities. It's just in just in base. I'm not talking about core or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Like so does you know uh, guy that can't use his legs, girl that can't use her eyes. Yeah. I mean, what else is there? I feel like there's somebody else who I'm forgetting. But I mean, to be fair, even those two Azula's people, that's all. Yeah, that's, that's another can of worms. You want to talk about uh, that? Um, I, I think, though, even t- having even two characters with disabilities and have one having one of them be a main character who is in no way hindered by her disability, um, that's pretty big for a cartoon. That's empowerment. Know? Not to mention, like, the creators have gone on record multiple times and, as saying that, like, all of these characters are people of color. Like, casting them in a live-action movie as white would be ridiculous because none of them are meant to be white. I can't imagine anybody ever doing that, right? Oh, yeah, of course not. That'd be absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, who would want a a live-action avatar? Uh, It didn't even occur to me that we should talk about M. Night Shyamalan. We shouldn't. I, 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 I feel better not talking about okay. the last Airbender <laughs> movie. I mean, I, I mean, I think it's a kind of a dark area for a lot of us, just like in terms of knowledge in itself. I didn't All I know is, I watched 15 minutes of it. It was legitimately one of the worst things I had ever seen, and I stopped. I know, I know they pronounce Ang's name as Ang, and that pisses me off. Yes. <laughs> that's all I know about that fucking movie. Why were they blue? That was so ridiculous. Not <laughs> true. <laughs> Oh, you God, sly James devil. Cameron. Ooh. James Cameron just did not understand the world of The Last Airbender. Well, James Cameron had a vision, and he really went for it. And I don't think it, wor- I don't think it works in the, uh, in the canon. So I, I did, again, use my Google powers to see. Nice uh, a lot of people consider there be, like, four representations of uh, disabilities. The two we mentioned with physical disabilities. And then they actually bunch in Zuko as well. Okay. With uh, his facial scar, okay. and they they quote some um, voice or like stutters and possible like visual impairment because of mm-hmm. his scar and his PTSD, and then Azula's, which I did not read far enough, but they just called her mentally disabled. That's one way of describing <laughs> her. I, mentally she, ill, uh, probably not. I mean, she's yeah. she's hyper competent. Yeah almost too much i mean azula is a weird mix of being like sociopathic or maybe psychopathic but then also like she's clearly like riddled by insecurities and stuff so again the show generally presents pretty complex characters which i i think is great speaking of uh who who are all your guys's uh, favorite characters in the show well toff easily she's easily the best character in the show okay I'll go with Iroh just to steal it away from Brian. Damn it! <laughs> you guys, Dakota taken... stole mine. I'll steal yours. <laughs> you guys have taken my top two picks. Um, I would also say I really like Zuko. Uh, maybe we should get into this in a little more depth, but 
I think Zuko legitimately has, like, probably the best redemption arc I've ever experienced in any movie or television or book or whatever. It's so, like, convincing and believable, and uh, I just love how imperfect he is, even when he's a good guy. But uh, Uncle Iroh is objectively the best character. He really is. And no joke that any of us will make today will ever top <laughs> Incel Iroh. <laughs> Brian, do you do you wanna do you wanna explain to the three people listening what incel Iroh is? I think it's exactly what it sounds like. Um What, you you texted me something about uh oh, let me see. Oh, I was saying about how like Zuko hated women or something. Because in one flashback scene of Zuko alone, he says that girls are crazy because Azula's bullying him. And I texted Brian, like, man, I really identify with Zuko. I also play with knives and hate women. <laughs> <laughs> and it took you, like, 20 minutes to respond. You just came back. And I, I, he says, like, I hate what I'm about to come up with. And then you said incel Iroh. The, the reason why it's such a cursed joke is because in um, Iroh's the one character in the show, except for, like, Ozai, who canonically fucks. Has fucked. Yes, yes. canonically he has had sex. Not only has he fucked... Raw dog he, sex. Yeah, he, <laughs> he, he fucks harder than, than Ozai, for sure. I mean, all that's popping in my head right now is, is just... Uh, season one, uh, pretending to get lashed by a paralyzing <laughs> tongue, just so he can have a. I, I guess you could sh- you should call it a drugged up girl lay on top of him for at least several hours. Yeah, that's also Ira's one problematic moment. <laughs> well, there's also the the episode where naked Iro in bondage whoops ass. Do you know what I'm talking about? Hold on, what? Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Uh, he whips his chain. Yeah, there's a, there's an episode where her Earthbenders ambush Ira while he's bathing, and so for the entire episode, he's just got like a tiny little loincloth on, and he like uses his broken chains to beat the shit out of everybody. All he's naked the whole time. Oh, holy shit! Why didn't you recommend that episode for me to watch? <laughs> I wasn't sure if you'd be able to handle it, man. That's fair. I'm telling you, Ira fucks and he fucks hard. <laughs> I don't know if I can handle that raw sexual energy. <laughs> and then there's a whole plot point about his sweaty sandal helping to save the world. He's... Those are his hormones. That's why he needs <laughs> to shower. <laughs> he's such an alpha that his uh, he's got sweaty foot hormones. <laughs> Chad, I mean, I he's so he's so alpha. He gives his prison guard, you know, like kind of Stockholm syndrome, and makes her love him. True, yeah. Um, that whole sequence of him just getting ripped to shit and then tearing through metal bars is like, it's an amazing like plot point, and it's made all the better by the fact that you don't actually see him break out of the prison. Like that's one of the things I like about Iroh is he's clearly a badass, but they almost never let you see him be a badass. Like, usually it's just implied, and I think that makes it more interesting. Yeah, because, like, I did some Googling myself before we went on to, um, to record here. Like, Iroh's, like, one of the few guys who could lightning bend. Yeah. So, like, Iroh is, is a fucking top-level, like, badass boss character, but he never, he never, he just, he just wants to brew tea. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and not only is he one of the few people who can generate lightning, but he's the guy who invented the redirecting lightning technique. Which, you know, by the end of the series, only two other people know that, and they indirectly know it through him. So, yeah, Ira's a badass. Uh, just real quick, uh, while we're talking about, like, the different bending styles, uh, how, how do you guys feel about, like, like metal bending and blood bending and lightning bending? Because I'm... I'm... I'm all here for the four elements, but I I'm, I, I get kind of like, I get kind of caught up in the weeds uh, with like the, the specified like next level bending techniques. All I'm, right. I'm not, I'm uh, not Justin, you wanna... a huge fan of that. The only the only problem I have is lightning bending in general. Yeah, I don't think that should be a technique that firebenders could do. Mm-hmm. Um, I I want to I would I would love to hear. The, the creators of the show is reasoning for giving the firebenders lightning. I've always assumed that the their reasoning was just that fire is energy and lightning is energy. Um, that both of them give off heat and light and that that's like the only way we'll get lightning into the show. You know? Right. Who, who else yeah. would be a lightning bender? Do we get to the earthbenders or, or what? Uh, after that, I'd probably give it to the airbenders, but I, I still think that makes sense either. I would have probably just given it to the Avatar, honestly. Oh, yeah, make it it's Avatar. An ultimate technique of, like, combining uh, several things. That'd be cool. They did that with lava bending originally, and then in Korra they retconned that. But yeah, that was originally, like, an Avatar exclusive bending form. When it comes to the advanced bending, I generally am fine with them. It's always bothered me that air bending doesn't really have an advanced form, um, but then certain other elements have, like, many of them. Like, Earth has earth, metal, lava, and then it has, like, alternate forms, like, sand bending is, like, a completely different style with different, like, advantages and disadvantages, and technically mud bending's kind of a thing. Uh, water bending, you have, like, ice and steam and uh, technically plants and blood. Um, and mud again. And mud again, yeah. <laughs> and then airbenders are just, like... Maybe sound bending's a thing, but we're not really ever going to explore that. Um, Airbenders get fucked, again. Bend. They don't even get mud. They right, yeah. Um, you think they would mud. share something with firebenders, um, but no. Um, yeah, I uh, I've never been crazy about that. Feels very unbalanced to me, despite the fact that the elements are supposed to be completely balanced. Um, they later in Korra try to retcon that like being able to like astral project into the spirit world counts as like an airbending technique but i think that's kind of bullshit i don't think it actually does i have a small gripe with metal and i wonder if how you guys will feel about this but the the canonical explanation for metal bending is that the way you bend metal is not by bending the metal but bending the impurities inside of the metal that like there are little pockets of earth in every piece of metal and you manipulate those to manipulate the metal itself. I'm not wild about that. Now I personally, personally don't have an issue with it. I- ironically, like I started the conversation like, obviously, but like ironically I actually kinda do like that element of yeah. like, in into the you know, like earth bending it, it bending the impurities in the metal that makes more sense than like Oh, hey, I can shoot fire. If I cough it hard enough, I can shoot lightning. Yeah. I, I guess my issue with it is, like, metal is just altered earth. 
Um, and I realize if you go down that rabbit hole, then, like, theoretically, airbenders should be able to bend, like, liquid nitrogen. So, like, you can't really, like, delve too deep into, like, but what about, like, real-life elements, though? You know, like, you can't really do that. Um, you have to kind of keep, like, the mystical quality to it. But I like the idea that, like, because when Toph unlocks metal bending, it's while Guru Patik is teaching Aang to, like, stop arbitrarily dividing the world and start seeing things as they are and like that's paralleled with Toph realizing she can bend metal but she's not realizing that she can bend metal she's realizing that she's been missing bits of earth inside of the metal which doesn't feel quite as as strong to me um also in Korra not to rag on Korra I really like Korra but in Korra they make it so that you don't have to have like the seismic sense like Toph does to bend metal that like, oh, any earthbender can just sense the, the earth and the metal. And that bothers me because clearly that's not true, or a 12-year-old girl wouldn't have invented it like thousands of years into this world's history. You know? Well, it that is uh, <clears throat> kind of, isn't that with like the Avatar, he has to be taught how to feel vibrations in the earth mm. first so that he can then apply it to metal bending, which is how I... Th- feel metal bending was then taught in the future as well even though they don't really show it in the show well they show Korra learning metal bending and they just tell her to feel for the earth and that she never demonstrates the ability to feel the vibrations maybe she has it i don't know but yeah i i, I like metal bending i think it's really cool i've just always had that like small nitpick with it i also think theoretically earthbenders could glass bend um, but that's not gonna make it through a kid's show. Oh my god, glass bending. Yeah. That sounds <laughs> fucking awful. I was one of them to do more with plant bending. I always thought that was cool. I mean, they did... They, they, I think they showed the extent of what could be done with it with uh, the, the Florida people in the swamp. <laughs> the uh, they sure people. did. Death is an illusion, and so are pants. <laughs> yeah, it, my, my biggest issue with, kind of circling everything back, my biggest issue with, like, these advanced techniques is that, like, like we just did, you really get lost in the weeds in, like, what is it mm-hmm. possible. It really expands, for better or worse, it expands the, the lore and the universe and the way, like, bending works. But it also just yeah. complicates shit way too much. We'll see... Again, not to keep going back to Korra, but they complicated a lot in Korra, because in Korra it's revealed that some earthbenders can lava bend, and that it's the same as, like, a water bender melting ice into water. That, like, they're just phase-shifting rock into its liquid form. But I think once you start doing that for all of the elements, you you leave a lot of questions that can't be answered. Like, again, Aang should be able to condense air into liquid nitrogen and freeze people solid. By that reasoning, you know. Yeah, it's... Like like, like I said, it it just gets lost in the weeds on on the possibilities and what other benders can and can't do. Yeah. Um, Something we forgot to mention, too, is combustion bending is technically, like, an advanced form of fire bending. So even firebending, which is like, seems like it should have no potential for different forms, has two, and airbending still has none, um, which frustrates me. Uh, what's your guys' favorite kind of bending? I, I always saw myself as an earthbender, because it, it, throwing rocks is cool. I mean, that, that's about all I got. 
earthbending is is super cool. Okay. I have I have a tough time with that because it's always you know like what element is that you want to bend? Yeah. And I it's kind of a mood of the day kind of swing sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Whereas sometimes I want to be an earthbender and just smash through everything, especially my problems. <laughs> yeah. And then sometimes. I like being the waterbender and just kind of going with the flow. That's fair. Um, for me, it's I, I would say airbending. I just think it's I think it's really cool and it can be really like dynamic. I also think it fits my personality type better than the others, arguably. Also, like airbending, it's kind of weird because airbending has no other forms theoretically, but it can do some things like it can enhance your like physical abilities in a way that other bending can't like Aang can basically be the flash if he wants to which is pretty cool oh yeah that's right he, he can he can fly like that's that's a super that's a super cool perk well and he can just like run at super speeds and stuff um yeah. he does demonstrate that quite a few times yeah. yeah i like how we all agreed silently that none of us should be firebenders because that's the edgiest, <laughs> that's the edgiest element it's also like, how do you wield it practically? You don't. It, it, it's. I think it's partially our. I mean, it's just like it's it's why we're friends as well. I think none of us are the. <laughs> uh, I hate saying the aggressive kind because I don't want to yeah. associate firebending with a uh, aggression. Yeah. But I don't think any of us have the. How do I say it? The confidence to really yeah. do firebending. Um, Unfortunately, not, yeah. you're hundred percent correct. <laughs> Um, one of the I things that I, I like, I like that, um, they have the whole Sun Warriors thing to show you, like, fire isn't necessarily just destruction and aggression. Um, it can be representative of, like, life and confidence and energy and stuff like that. But, and, like, Korra normalizes firebending a lot more. She's honestly, like, she's technically a, a native waterbender, but, like, let's be real, she's a firebender. Um, Truly, yes. But, uh, wise yeah. Just like, well, I mean, she just uses it more, you know, just it like imagining being a firebender day to day. There are so many more logistical problems with being a firebender than with any of the others. Like every time you use your bending, you risk horribly fucking something up. Even earthbending, like the problem with with uh, with like keeping on with sequels is like in Korra, Korra is already getting reprimanded for like property damage. Like, she's earthbending, and they're like, hey, man, taxpayers paid for those roads. And she has to be like, oh. So, like... There's a certain vegetable merchant that has felt the wrath of (laughs) airbending. That's true. As well. That is true. That's very true. Um, There are real consequences to these incredible powers. So what's the best subset of bending? Lightning bending Ice. looks super fucking cool. Like, it, that's the coolest form of bending. Uh, did Justin say ice? I said ice, yeah. Okay. Because, yeah. I don't know, I, I think that's more of a personal preference with all the other, say, like, RPGs, say, I play, mm-hmm. where ice magic is always represented quite coolly. But hey So, from, like, a purely it's really cool perspective, I have to say bloodbending, because... That episode is a mindfuck, and anytime somebody uses bloodbending, it's amazing. Oh, 
such um, a good episode. I would never, ever, ever want to live in a world where bloodbenders existed, though. No. So Jesus Christ, that's maybe, terrifying. maybe metal bending. I guess it's because metal bending is cool. Um, it would be one of the, I want to say, more useful ones in like modern society right now. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Whoa. Hey. But no, bending. lightning bending because is objectively the coolest because like lightning, you shoot lightning on your fingers, it's cool as fuck. That's coming. That, that's 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 just about what I expected from the man who loves standing in a, a raised square and uh, entertaining the masses, true, nice and flashy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you Which, really liked oh. that Earth Rumble Six or whatever. Yeah, dude, that was super cool. <laughs> like to, the, the way they introduced—that's what probably talks my favorite character. The way they introduced her was super cool. Yeah, yeah. the badass twelve-year-old um, Earthbender wrestler. It's, it's that's cool as shit. Yeah, well, and that's like a... I love that episode because it showcases all of the very unique different ways you can earthbend. Earthbenders are the shit. They are. They're pretty cool. Fuck firebenders. Um, damn, dude. I'm taking that stance right now. There. That's fucked up. This is for bossing, say. So what's the coolest culture, then, in the series? Firebending. Yeah, or I should say the Fire Nation. Ah, yeah, uh, something about the the Chinese aesthetic. Like, there's a lot of. Well, they're Japanese. Mm, are they Japanese? I thought they were Chinese. No, the Earth Kingdom's Chinese. That's why it's so big. Oh, yeah. you know, oh, I, man, I mean, really? still. Yeah, I, I just I really like the. Honestly, it's more of the buildings more than anything, honestly. Yeah, they're dope. They look great. Yeah, like even going back to Korra again, even before like the 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 world of the Avatar like universe industrialized like the fire nation were a super industrial like you know nation mm-hmm. it, it, it lends itself to a fantastic aesthetic it, it, i think it's it, it's super cool it's, that's yeah. been, been most of my my opinions so far this episode i've noticed it's just like i like this thing because it's cool they're probably aesthetically the most interesting I, in my heart of hearts, I want to say the Air Nomads, but my answer is probably the Water Tribes. I think they're really cool, and I think uh, we don't get to spend enough time there. Not nearly enough. Because, um, like, it's the vast majority of the series takes place in, in the Earth Kingdom. I also love the, the Foggy Swamp Tribe, the you know, Florida. Um, that's a really fun, like, departure from typical air or water tribe culture. Um I love how the way they bend is super different and like they don't use ice at all and they, they clearly put a lot of thought into like what would waterbenders who live in a swamp be like uh, what would um it was it ever explained how they even got to live in the swamp I think there is an explanation out there but I'm not aware of it or, or, or I can't think of it off the top of my head yeah I don't know because presumably the North Pole was the original water tribe and you would think that maybe the foggy swamp people just stayed behind while people were traveling south to the southern pole or to the south pole but then in Korra they introduced the idea that they could like fast travel through the spirit portals between the two poles so i don't know uh so the avatar wiki says it's a very simple explanation very short and it just says during a, a migration f- uh from the southern water tribe uh, some waterbenders came across a foggy swamp, saw the water, and decided to stay because of the water. Interesting. Yeah, that, that's that's a nice little bit of extra fluff there, I guess. 
Something about them swamps, man. Yeah, man. Floridians. <laughs> uh, you can't feed a bug to what's his face? That's people food. You know the line. Yeah, yeah. No, you don't. No, you I don't. don't. Not at Justin all. Knows. Justin, <laughs> Justin knows what I'm talking yes. about. So I know what you're says, talking about. I'm eating a giant bug. And he eats a giant bug. By the way, um, on the subject of like favorite characters, um, I think Aang gets way too much flack. Yeah, what, what, what kind of shit does Aang? What kind of shit do people give Aang? Honestly, I think it mostly stems from the Zutara versus Katang thing. I think it's um, people think he's like milk toast and too childish, whereas Zuko's like the handsome edge lord that everybody wants Katara to focus on. But Zuko's um, fucking lame. He's objectively the lamest of, of, like, Team Avatar. I don't know about that. I mean, Sokka's pretty lame. In, like, a good way. Well, Sokka's not a bender. It, it works to his character. <laughs> wow! Dakota's revealing all kinds of prejudices on this episode. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. I'm the opposite of whatever uh, the first season of Korra was about. Okay, so you're just a bender, basically. Yeah, yeah. Ben- bender, bender pride, bender supremacy. Okay. I feel like um, the biggest issue that even uh, not on the show that we've complained about Aang a lot is is the the nonviolent protagonist who refuses to do anything like you know killing a person. Yeah. Even when it's say morally or ethically, I, I don't really know the definitions here. Uh, is, is if it's correct to do so, and yeah. I think a lot of people were very frustrated with that, even though he did find a solution. Yeah. It still feels frustrating. Well, I will say, I've been kind of wanting to talk about the ending of the show. The finale, I love the finale. I think it's excellent. There's maybe a little bit of fluff in the beginning, but overall I think it's like a really excellent four episodes. And I really like Aang's final showdown with Ozai. Um, something I never realized then, but that kind of bothers me now, is that the stuff with the lion turtle and energy bending is like narratively completely unearned and it makes no sense in the moment. Um, I think we all just kind of learned to accept that because the visual was cool when he takes Ozai's bending and the show was so good that we didn't really think about it, but that shit's barely foreshadowed at all. It definitely would feel better if the energy bending would have instead just been kind of an extension of, say, like the spirit world. Yeah. And that, like, you know, a person's connection to the soul, uh, connections with their soul to the spirit realm is what allows them to bend. Yeah. And then you can just sever that connection instead of creating okay. a new style of bending. Like, that, yeah, that, cool. that would have been super cool. That would have been a way better explanation than what we actually got. Which, uh, I, I will not, say, I texted sorry, Brian. I know, I texted Brian before, like, last night while I was watching some of these episodes. Like, I, I, I do have a serious problem with the way they, they ended the show with, with the way Aang uh, defeats Fire Lord Ozai. Mm. What's yeah, stopping Ozai from that? becoming ripped in prison? <laughs> yeah, exactly. True. <laughs> he just doesn't have that dedication like Iroh. He doesn't know what it means to fuck. Yeah. I, <laughs> I personally thought... I, it goes completely against Aang's character. I thought he should have killed Ozai. But, like, like I said, it goes completely against his character and what, what he was raised with what he stands for. Forget silly things like like character development, just and just like let him let him fucking murder this fire lord. 
I mean, in that sense, my issue with it is kind of that, like, the, the like, theme of that, that finale seems to be that Aang is about to be forced to grow up and that he has to learn how to make hard decisions for the greater good. It's like everywhere he turns, like every time he thinks he's found a solution for stopping Ozai without killing him, it gets shot down. Like even his past lives, like the uh, Avatar Yang Chen, who's an, an air nomad, even she's like, you're real sweet, but like, wise up, man. Um, and so it feels like Aang needs to like learn to grow and come to terms with that growth. But then at the end, they say, psych, um, Aang's the main character, so he doesn't have to do that. Oh, fuck. Um, you know, I think that's that might be a limitation of the network itself. Probably partially. Also, yeah, I don't I, I think doubt. they can show a straight murder on the on the Probably show. Not. Yeah, those, Probably those damn Nick executives getting all uh, high and mighty about not having people murdered in their children's shows. I, I well, do they think... actually have been by Toph crushing some people's ribs, but you just don't see their bodies afterwards. So you know, sure. they're not and named. It doesn't matter. And a fuckload of people die on screen in Korra. But uh, to be fair, it did get taken off the air and put online because of that. So, um, but anyway, um, I do think they were they were going for a message, though, to a certain extent. My main issue is like it would be one thing if Aang we had seen Aang learn energy bending, because um, like energy bending, I will defend it as being like the hidden fifth element because in the classical Greek elements, which are fire water earth and air there is a fifth element i think it's usually called aether but it's basically just the element that heaven is made out of and it's like it's this theoretical element that humans don't experience because it's over there and so like i think it makes sense that they would eventually introduce that into the show and it gets fleshed out a lot more in, in the comics and in Korra. but I don't like that a, a lion turtle, which gets explicitly foreshadowed one time in the entire series, just randomly shows up and, like, telepathically teaches Aang how to energy bend. Like, that feels a massive shortcut in a show that prides itself on not taking shortcuts. Um, the, the, the lion turtle gets foreshadowed one time in Wang Tong's library. Uh, I don't know if... Justin remembers, but Aang shows Katara a book and says, look at this crazy lion turtle thing. And that's it. Yeah. Jeez. Um, Man, it's, it's... On repeat... Sorry. On repeat viewings, you will notice that, like, there are statues of lion turtles, like, kind of slipped into, like, architecture here and there. But otherwise, that's it. Yeah, so. it, it's almost like it's... the guys who made Avatar and Korra have something of an issue getting a satisfying ending together. I think to a certain extent, yes. Um, I think that that's certainly a pervasive problem for uh, uh, two or three seasons of Korra. Um, but, and it's funny because that's one of those things I didn't notice or question until uh, Justin and I watched the series with a friend of ours who had never seen most of it. And he had two comments. One of them was that the lion turtle thing was a deus ex machina, which I'm inclined to agree and he also said that he felt like Azula's breakdown happened too quickly. Um, I have kind of mixed feelings on that, but I see where he's coming from. Were all of the books equal length in yes. terms of episodes? Yeah, they're all 20, I think. I do think season, uh, book three suffers a little bit because it's kind of split into two parts. 
where the first half is them like infiltrating the Fire Nation, and then the second half is like Zuko joining the team and going on field trips with them. I was always bummed Zuko didn't spend more time actually on the team, but yeah, I remember him being a bigger player in Team Avatar than I guess he actually yeah. was. Because he has like um, three or four turns where like, is he gonna join the group? Is he not? Does he want? Does he want redemption in the eyes of? of Fire Lord Ozai, or does he want to forge his own path? It, there's, there's a lot from Zuko that, that kind of gets left out. Yeah. And some of it's addressed in the books, or the comics, I mean. Oh, who reads comics, man? True. So, something I want to address is that, supposedly, this this was news that came out maybe last year. I think that it's been verified. I just looked it up and, and made sure I could find a few headlines that said what I'm about to say. But supposedly, there was supposed to be a fourth season of the show that was going to be all about Zuko and the gang trying to find his mother. And M. Night Shyamalan's movie performed so horribly and got such a negative reception that they never picked it up for a fourth season. That is something um, that always bothered me about Avatar itself, that it cover, doesn't cover every single element with its books. Right! Yeah, that's annoying. But uh, I, 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 I've I, seen news, news sources make this claim, and I think it's possible. Um, but it does bother me, then, that like the ending feels very decisive. Like, you have all the big beats that tell you this story is over and everything's better now. And it even says the end. Um, so it's not like it was unceremoniously cancelled or anything. Um, so if there is truth to this, they at least, I think, got to have an ending that they were happy with. Um, I, I will say I have problems with the quest for Zuko's mom in the comics. One or, okay, I'm gonna spoil the comics for y'all. In the comics, it's revealed that Zuko is not Ozai's son. Really? Okay. I do not like that. It's revealed that Zuko's mom because she was basically pressured into marrying Ozai for political reasons, had an affair with, like, a circus performer or something who she knew from childhood. Um, <clears throat> and that's where the blue spirit mask comes from. It was the mask that the boy wore in his act. And um, so uh, she got knocked up and had Zuko, and that's part of the reason why Zuko's so dissimilar to Azula and Ozai. I don't like that, because there's a whole episode about how Zuko's, like, on one side, Zuko's grandfather is Sozin, but on the other side, his grandfather is Avatar Roku. You know, there's this whole thing about, like, Zuko is conflicted because he ha he comes from two completely different bloodlines. Um, like, he's predisposed to inner conflict. I also like the idea that Fire Nation people can be good or bad regardless of where they come from. Like, Iroh is a good guy who temporarily did bad things because of his upbringing, and he learned to be better. So I don't like that the fact that Zuko's better than Azula is because, oh, he has a different dad. I, I'm not a fan of that change, personally. That, that's a cop-out. That's weak. I'm not, I'm not a fan. I think it takes away a lot of the strength of Zuko's, like, growth and decisions, personally. Did they ever actually find his mom in the comics? Um, I think they did. It's been a long time. Um, I that will the, say... That was the biggest loose end that's always yeah. bothered me about the show. I think she found Zuko's dad at some point or something. Maybe she's dead by then. I, I can't remember. I, the, um, the impression I got is that 
she's dead. Well, you do definitively find out one way or the other in the comics, I'm pretty sure. I just don't remember. The, the main thing I remember is Azula learns that Zuko's not actually Ozai's son, and she tries to use that to, like, regain the throne. Um, and, you know, nothing comes of it. But, but, like, supposedly the fourth season was also supposed to have a redemption arc for Azula, which would have been interesting if that's true. Um, do you guys think the Azula twist works? Like, her going nutso? I... Uh, I I, I kind of wa- I didn't watch the, the full series, so I didn't get the full turn. So right. It was a little, was a little jarring for me. Cause I I, I, I think the the pace of her breakdown was I, it, it it was it was it was fine. Yeah. It it, it kind of started with basically her only support network, her friends, yeah. immediately betraying her, and everything she knew or th- yeah. she thought she knew has now been wrong. Right. Um, yeah, I I can I can understand how our friend thought that the pace was a little quick. Um, but I will say, like, they make very clear that, like, Azula really gets off on being powerful and dominating the people around her. Um, but then we also learn that, like, she's deeply insecure and that she controls the people around her as a way of compensating for those insecurities. Like, she has to force people to love her because that she's afraid they won't love her otherwise. So I think it does make sense to me that when that fear and that control over her friends fails and even, even you know, physically controlling them can't make them love her i can understand why she would have a breakdown um and i think her breakdown leads to some of the coolest scenes in the show oh her hallucinating her mother and her final duel with zuko are like two of my favorite scenes in the whole show yeah her duel with zuko is objectively the, the, the coolest fight in the entire show it's pretty good <clears throat> Um, one episode that I was sorry that I didn't tell Dakota to watch was, um, maybe you can help Justin, I can't think of the name of it, but it's essentially the beach episode. I think it's, I think where... it's called the beach episode. I, I think like, it might actually be called the beach like or something beach. like that. Oh, I know. Which if ever anyone yeah. ever wants to, yeah, it's called the beach. If I want anyone to argue that Avatar The Last Airbender is not an anime, you can say it has a stereotypical beach episode. Right, which I was going to say, like, that's one of the things I love about the show is it it has the beach episode with the fan service, like it's playing into the tropes. But then it's also like, as you're having fun, you discover, uh oh, this episode is all about how all of these people are horribly damaged and riddled with insecurities and they're desperately trying to heal by leaning into each other. Like, like that episode, true, man, that episode is very important, I think, to understanding Azula's breakdown. I did jokingly consider just having Dakota watch the Ember Island players and nothing else and have that that inform his entire <laughs> understanding of the show. Um, so if the um, if we're talking about stereotypical anime episodes, what's the uh, sleepover episode? Huh. Or what's their culture festival episode? <laughs> that's the uh, that's a school episode. Okay. Yeah, 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 you're right. You're right. Culture, yeah. So wait. So since the avatar kind of regenerates, like re- re- reincarnates, I guess. Uh, yeah. Would that make this like the isekai, like the anime series? Oh my god. 
Okay. Bro, Avatar was a fucking isekai. Alright, now we're going now we're going too deep. We we've lost we've lost track here. <laughs> we've lost our way. What's uh what's everybody's favorite episodes? Dakota, I realize you're gonna struggle to answer this one because you've only seen a few recently, but Yeah. Just try your best, Dakota. Uh on that on that note, probably the blind bandit. Okay. You know, what, what I have a feeling. You just like the wrestling. The wrestling. Besides the Earthbender Wrestling Federation. That's super cool. <laughs> you Brian, just want you the next. You just want the hippo to eat your fat head. <laughs> Look, man, I don't talk about your your hang ups on this podcast. Don't talk about mine. <laughs> <laughs> you just want the hippo to fit your entire head between his two teeth. God. One of these days. <laughs> Hippo angry or hippo mad or whatever the fuck he says. <laughs> How'd you like the the shitty rock parody? Oh, I, I loved it. The the boulder, the boulder the boulder is like the boulder's like three or four different different like wrestling personas in one. It's 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 awesome. Yeah. Um, what's my favorite episode is is Zuko alone. It might be my favorite episode of the entire franchise. I'm not sure. Um, that 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 Zuko alone is a close it. second. I fucking love Zuko alone. It's it's like it's just a character piece about like Zuko learning and growing and struggling to like remember his identity, but then learning that people fear his identity and having to like recontextualize the way that he grew up viewing himself. I also love it because it's clearly like a Western, which I'm a sucker for Westerns. It's actually a direct homage to High Plains Drifter, which is uh, a Clint Eastwood movie. It's a very problematic Clint Eastwood movie um, with a lot of like glorified sexual assault and stuff, so I don't really recommend Ooh. looking into that. Yeah, I've never seen um, it. But, but there are scenes in there that are direct references to High Plains Drifter. Like, um, there's a moment in High Plains Drifter where one of the bad guys is like pinned and he says, Who are you? And that exact moment happens just when Zuko busts out the firebending. Um, so that's cool. Um, they clearly like put a lot of time and thought into that episode. And there's just a lot. It's also fun because you get to see how the Firebenders aren't the only bad guys. Like you see how Earthbend, like Earth Nation or Earth Kingdom soldiers, abuse like the 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 poorest um, citizens of their their country. Yeah, they're also um, bastards. Yeah, it's always interesting to get a little more nuance in there, which you get plenty of in season two. To be fair, how about you, Justin? That's a tough one. I'm looking at the the whole list right now. Yeah. And I gotta say, I do love myself a good training montage. Yeah, bitter work. I'm gonna go for Sokka's Master. Okay, that's a great episode. I do love that episode. It, it kind of um, it gives how to say it, 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 it. It's a good checkpoint displaying everyone's powers. Mm-hmm. With the meteorite crashing into the Earth, which heavily downplays the power of meteors, but I'm not going <laughs> to get into that. <laughs> but it, it just kind of it's it's a good um like it's it's for it's good for the power scaling community to put everyone into perspective of how strong they are and what it is they can do. Mm. So could Toph beat Goku or no? <laughs> No, but she could definitely beat Superman. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. 
she just uh, shuts him in a little earth chamber and he can't get the power of the sun anymore. She just like earth bends some kryptonite. Makes kryptonite <laughs> oh armor. Oh my god. Um the big the big power scaling debate has always been Katoff beat Gara. I'm pretty sure technically the answer is no, but in my heart it is. Uh, yes. That, that that's a that's a toss up. That's a tough one. I refuse um, to talk about power scaling. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's fair. Especially uh, cross show power scaling. Yeah. Curious. Okay, could bitch. Batman beat Zuko? No. <laughs> I mean, yes, yes, absolutely. Sorry. Also, let's be real here. If fucking Rock Lee can rock his shit, Sokka can rock Gara's shit. I wouldn't oh my go God. that far. I wouldn't go <laughs> that far. That's a hot take. That is a hot take right there. Anyway, carry on, Justin, about uh, Sokka's master. I mean, Sokka's master is, um, I mean, Zoka, I can't say his name right. Sokka has, um, has been downplayed, like, the entire show, basically. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a point where you do feel bad for him. Yeah. And it's, I, I, everyone loves a good underdog story. Yeah. I love a good underdog story. And I forget, did he beat his master in an actual sword duel at the end? Uh, he gets pretty close. He, like, blinds him, and I think he disarms Sokka at the end, but just when Aang and everybody jumps in, he's like, no, no, we're done. Okay. Um, yeah. I say, um, I do wish we could have seen more of his actual sword play, because I, I, all, I yeah. uh, all I can remember after that is just him throwing his sword on an air balloon and losing it. Yep, that sure does happen. <laughs> and then in Korra, he doesn't have a sword anymore when you see him in flashbacks, so... Ugh. Yeah. That's brutal. Um, yeah, that, to me, that's in a similar vein to Zuko and Aang with, uh, like, the firebenders on the team, where, like, you finally have an episode establishing how Z- Sokka can be a valuable and interesting fighter, and you waited way too long to do it. So, like... There's just so many, so much less time for him to, him to demonstrate his skill. I think Sokka was always partially limited by the fact that when your whole thing is using weapons, they can't really let you cut loose a lot on a kid's show, especially if you're using a sword. Um, it always frustrated me in the invasion of the Fire Nation, the Day of Black Sun, I think it's called. Yeah. Um, you see Sokka fighting with his sword, and he's just cutting dudes' spears in half and then leaving the dudes... And it's like, that's not how war works, man. That's not how you use your sword, bro. But, like, that's the best they can do, you know? Okay, so I, I did actually did not realize that the Day of the Black Sun was after Sokka's Master. Yeah, I thought that came... I guess it is still... So they infiltrated the Fire Nation and then they did the invasion. For some reason in my head, I thought it was they immediately, like, lost the invasion. Mm-mm. And then they had to try to integrate afterwards. <laughs> And by the way, that was like a, a mindfuck moment for me as a kid. Um, I was watching that two-parter thinking that the show was ending. And they lost, and I was like, I couldn't comprehend it. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely is a great, literal, middle-of-the-season kind of plot twist. Yeah, it, and it changes the like the rest of the show by quite a bit, um, which is fun. Um Zuko's confrontation with Ozai in that episode's really great, too. That's when Iroh busts out. What other episodes should we give honorary mentions to? Probably the the Puppet Master. Is that what it's called, Dakota? Yeah. 
Okay. Um, that's probably the one pure, like, horror episode in the whole series. I love it. It's, it's done, I think it's, everybody loves it. It's done so well. Say, uh, yeah. Instead of talking about, uh, kind of favorite episodes, what, what are, what are the episodes that scared you the most as a kid? Probably that. I also always thought Wong Chi Tong was very scary. Um, do you remember him, Dakota? He's the big owl in the library. Oh, all right. Yeah, yeah. He always freaked me out because he had a really, like, creepy, deep voice. And he kind of, like, even when he was walking, he kind of, like, glided. And then he has this, like, this moment where his neck gets really long and stretchy and he's just chasing them through the library. That really freaked me out as a kid. Yeah. Uh, as a kid, obviously Azula scared me. She's like, scary. Like, yeah, like, like, I don't blame season you. Season three, like, toward the end, when she starts breaking down, like, she gets, like, uncomfortable to watch. Even even now, honestly, like rewatching the finale, I was kind of taken aback just by how unhinged she becomes. Appa's lost days scared me just from the perspective of like, it's um, very bleak. It wasn't like horror scary. It was just like, it scared me to think that such things could happen to Appa, you know, or to anything. I'm personally. Even still now, terrified by uh, Lake Lao guy. Oh yeah, it's a freaky episode with uh... something something about government-sanctioned torture just kind of gives me the heebie-jeebies. Well, the the montage, the like the brief montages you get of Jet being brainwashed are animated in a really freaky way, and you just keep hearing, "There is no war in Ba Sing Se." Plus the Dai like, scurry around on the walls and the ceilings. Yeah, I could, I could see that. You know what, I actually kind of retract my statement from earlier, saying they never, they're not allowed to show death in, uh, in the show. Mm. Yeah. And they, they fucking killed Jet when they had no reason to. Jet's got a great death. Um, Dakota, for, your, for reference, since you haven't seen this one for a while, Jet gets hit real hard with a big rock, which... Um, despite the fact that he's the only character that wears armor, he's also the only character who dies from getting hit by a big rock. <laughs> but uh, he's laying there on the floor, and it's been established earlier in the episode that Toph can sense when people are lying by the pace of their heartbeat, kind of like Daredevil. And uh, Jet tells them to keep going because he's fine. And as they're walking away, Toph says, he's lying. Um, and that's your only indication that he died. Oh, and they actually make a joke out of it in the Ember Island Players, where Sokka's like, did Jet just die? And uh, Katara, er, Katara, I think, says, uh, it's not quite clear. <laughs> um, it's a fun jab. Yeah, Jet's death is is probably unnecessary, but still, I think, well done. I forgot um, completely about Jet. He doesn't show up in any episode you guys recommended me to watch. He only shows up in a handful of episodes in the whole series. I remember liking him. I don't he was, he, really... he was, it was like Zuko done better, I guess. He was like dark and broody, but it wasn't like super edgy. See, I feel the exact opposite. I think he's Zuko done way worse because like Zuko is like edgy, but with actual depth. Whereas like Jet is the guy who pretends to be a bad boy to impress Katara. Like that's always been my perception of Jet. Um, I do not like Jet very much. His swords piss me off. Those swords were cool. I disagree. I, th I think his swords were the coolest part about him, honestly. <laughs> I mean, they are, but they make no goddamn sense. Yeah. But, yeah. 
Hey man, you can't really talk about his swords making no sense when you're a, a hard advocate for Sice in the anime. <laughs> that is true. You got me there. <laughs> um, does anybody remember that fever dream moment from Sokka's Master where Aang puts on like ridiculous Dragon Slayer armor and talks about making a wind sword? No. Yes. And, like a, a metal riff plays in the background. That's a real thing that happens what? in that episode. Yeah. Yeah, but the thing that pissed me off the most is why is a store for Fire Nation, for Firebenders, yeah. have an air sword in it? Well, also, why do they have dragon slaying armor for a 12 year old? <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's been a while. Let's yeah. be real here, because the strongest benders are all 12 year olds. For some reason. That's one very small, like, logical nitpick that I have with. The original series is that there are too many pre or like too many teenagers are better than all of the adults around them like are they gonna be fucking gods like is ang gonna be able to like control the world on a molecular level by the time he's 50 i'm sure if he's he already out bending like every 40 year old he meets i'm sure i'm sure if he wanted to he could he's got the power um i just i'd like to think that uh if you travel the world like they did, that you're going to find kind of geniuses. Yeah. Especially young geniuses. Like, we've all heard the stories that make us sad about the 12-year-old who graduates from Yale and like, with some physics degree. Yeah. One of my favorite things about Toph is she has a really plausible reason for being a genius. And one of the things that I love about Zuko is that it's established that he's not a genius. Like, I don't even know if you could really, like, realistically call him a master firebender at the end of the series. Like, he describes himself to Aang as pretty good at it. Um, which I've always liked. Zuko is always been kind of a fuck-up. But he's also, like, an insane ninja. Yeah. He does. Like, That's he's why he's a... not the best firebender, because he's devoted so much of his time yeah. to using swords that honestly look like they've actually been cut in half. Yeah. Yes, they do. I like, I like yeah. that. It cut that's itself in half, bro. I dig that shit. That, that was his final test for graduating sword school, was he had to cut his own <laughs> blade in half. <laughs> um, yeah, but, like, he's a better non-bender than Sokka is. Yeah, like, like that like, makes me sad. Like, objectively. Yeah. Um, I think I shared this with Justin a long time ago, but I did learn a while back that supposedly in the comics they confirmed... That, Zu or that uh, Zuko was taught by Pian Dao, the same as Sokka. Yes. All right. They're just cool. Um, cool I'm trying to think. We're we're gonna wrap this up. Um, I think you guys are in agreement that season two is the best season. I lean towards season three just because it has a lot of episodes that I consider kind of iconic. I think both me and Dakota love Toph and Iroh, or him, yeah. Toph, me, Iroh, and Toph, for yeah. it not to be season two. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. true. I, I, I appreciate Toph too much not to have season two be, like, the, my favorite season. Yeah, well, and bossing the whole bossing say in the Dai Li plot is surprisingly complex, and I really like that. And bossing um, say is a beautiful, like, we haven't talked enough about bossing say, really. It's a beautiful, like, setting. Like, I, I know, oh, yeah. I, I know... Avatar spends most of his time, especially in season two, in Bossing Say, but it, it's just yeah. a beautiful, such a beautiful, vibrant city that I, 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 I don't mind them reusing it for you know like a season and a half. 
Well, I love it because, like, in season three, Aang learns what propaganda feels like, but in season two, they learn about the secret police, which is like, what? Um, what? But anyway, <laughs> um, the main thing is, I, I think we all agree that season one is probably the worst season. Um, yes. I think there's some, some hidden gems in season one, but I think it's the most cartoony season where, like... Zhao is the primary villain and he's very like one-dimensional and boring um a lot of the really interesting character development hasn't happened yet a lot of episodes feel a little fillery there's a few gems in there I can't think of the name of it but the one where Zuko I think it's called the blue spirit where Zuko frees Aang from prison is a great episode um I really like the finale um but otherwise season one I'll just say, if anybody's listening who wants to be an Avatar fan who's not, season one can feel like a little bit of like a steep barrier to entry, but I promise it gets really good after that. Um, season two is totally worth going through season one for. Season two bothers me a little bit because even season two takes a little bit to get going. Like for me, season two gets interesting when Toph gets introduced. Um, and I think it takes a few episodes to get to that. Yeah, because um, she didn't get introduced until season, like, until episode six. So, like, okay. I, I gotta kind of wonder what they're doing in Bossing State before Top is introduced. I, I always thought she was introduced earlier in Season 2, I guess. Yeah. Well, Zuko doesn't join the team until, half, like, more than halfway through Season 3, so... Which, again, I thought um, he joined before way we, sooner. Before we get too far away from talking about um, the Earth Nation... Yeah. Uh, King Boomy City, what's it called? Umashu? Yeah, Omashu, yeah. Omashu is my favorite kind of earthbending city. You like the male shoots, don't you? They they have done actual things with earthbending and integrated yeah. into their society while Bossing Se has kind of just created the rich district and the poor district. Well, that's the thing that I think is f- interesting about Bossing Se is they use the earthbending seemingly only to segregate the rich from the poor. They just make walls. Yeah, exactly. Whereas Omashu's like Let's use this for infrastructure, like a ma- like a postal service. Yeah, that's true. That's fair. I also love Boomy's big, fat, hairy armpits. <laughs> His juicy mantis. Are we getting into that now? Because we've got the whole episode not talking about him. I know Justin's got some opinions on uh, on Boomy. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. We can save that for the next episode when we talk <laughs> about Korra and then inevitably talk about the first season again. Yeah, we will. We will. Um, so I think it's about time to wrap this up. Before we do, does anybody have a steaming hot take they want to drop about Avatar before we leave? They did not animate uh, Iroh's muscle at the end of the season as well as they should. They immediately gave him a gut again in his own tea shop. Yeah. And he even has a line, hey, I really trimmed down. But like, he's already got a little bit of a fatty going on. I already said that Avatar The Last Airbender is an Esekai anime, so that's my hot take. That's fair, that's fair. Okay, I'm gonna drop, like, a hot take and a half. Uh, my first hot, hot take is, like, Zutara's not a good ship. Sorry. And my, like, half a hot take is that while Avatar is, like, pretty much an objectively better show, um, I think comparing it to Korra is slightly unfair because they're extremely different shows 
Um, so when we eventually talk about Korra, I, I will personally be evaluating it very differently. Like, Avatar is all about the world and the characters, whereas Korra's much more interested in, like, action and plot. Um, and I prefer Avatar, but um, if, if, if any Avatar fans are listening to this who have been dismissive of Korra in the past, uh, I encourage you to just give it a chance. Um, I, I don't believe Justin likes it as much as I do, but I, do you, you at least kind of like it, right, Justin? Uh, the only real issue of why it's not the top is the kind of disconnection between seasons. Oh, yeah. Oh, you like that it's... Or you like the, like, one overarching plot versus the separate yeah. plots? Yeah. Okay. Yes, I do. I can see that. That's fair. Um, all right. Dakota, why don't you play us out, you disgusting little man? Oh, thank you. Uh, well, guys, thanks for listening, uh, if you did. Uh, if you didn't, you're not going to hear this, so whatever. Go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fuck you. Uh... <laughs> Justin, thanks for coming on. Yeah, it was a blast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I thought I thought you were real natural. I thought you did really well. Uh, we were very nervous and awkward when we first started doing this. So. Yeah, you jumped right in. Nice work, man. Oh, don't worry. I'm I'm very nervous. Uh, but the thing is, I'm always nervous. <laughs> so you just kind of get oh, used that's to your it. Secret? That's fair. That's my secret, Captain. <laughs> uh, all right, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Dak Russell Ford. Uh, Brian doesn't have any social media. Justin, do you have any social media? You want to, you have anything you want to shill, really, uh, Justin? Uh, follow me on Tumblr at water-father, all lowercase. Hell yeah. He's got good content. I've followed him for years. Yeah, I steal a bunch so, of shit. Yeah, that's all my Tumblr is. I've posted nothing original except for one post, which Brian still harps on me for. Yeah, uh, kind of fucked up that water father doesn't want to be a water bender. Oh my god, I never thought of that. Quick, end the podcast. <laughs> oh, uh, bye. <laughs>